This is episode two of my podcast, Charlie's Room. I'm going to record this short 2023 introduction and then play the original introduction from the early COVID era. It was interesting to hear what we thought was going on in those days. For instance, we figured snow days were over forever. Before we start, again the disclaimer. Though I work for Lamoille South Unified Union and Stowe Middle and High School, this podcast has no affiliation with the school district and the schools. The opinions expressed may not be shared by Lamoille South Unified Union or Stowe Middle and High School and the administration of both entities. That said, if you listen to my trailer, you know that I have no intent here to harm anyone, merely to edify. So what's next is the original introduction and the interview with Dave Smith. Hello, this is Charlie Gordon, longtime teacher at Stowe Middle School. Welcome to Charlie's Room. In this episode, I interview Dave Smith, one of the senior members of the Stowe Middle School faculty. When I ask my students, he always comes out as one of their favorites. He is genuine, straightforward, and funny in his teaching style, and he effectively helps his students negotiate the transition from the elementary school to the middle school. Join me as we speak in-depth about teaching and life with Dave. So this is Charlie Gordon. I'm interviewing uh, David Smith. Teacher at Stowe Middle School. David, talk about your uh, position here at Stowe Middle School. I am a sixth grade teacher at Stowe Middle School. Uh, have been for going on 17 years now. And I teach uh, language arts and what we used to call social studies, which is now <laughs> called humanities. Humanities. And uh, what's the chief mission you see yourself fulfilling as you do your job? That's a good question. So as a sixth grade teacher specifically, I feel like one of my main goals is to bring uh, elementary school students into a middle school and make them into middle school students, which means a couple things to me. Um, it means becoming more independent. Um, it also means becoming uh, a little bit more organized, uh, being able to get yourself through the day, but it's a hard transition for them and it takes about half the year to accomplish that, and then we can take it from there. You can see the results. Like you can look at look at them in the hallway, and you can see the difference between the raw material you get, you know, in August, and then later on in the year, you can yeah. definitely see it. Yeah, it's it's interesting that when I leave in the spring and then I come back in the fall, I'm expecting to see what I left, and I see something much smaller and much less put together. <laughs> right. I think that's true of all of us, though. So I got to ask you, how are you uh, coping with this, with uh, school and everything in the COVID era? What what do you think um, you've been able to hold on to effectively, and what has had to been cut loose, and uh, and so forth? Well, I think the main coping strategy that I've had is just to be adaptable, um, to be flexible, and to not. Um, and to not sort of mourn what you can't do um, and just try to focus on what you can do. So, for example, um, you know, I was looking through some, I used the, the Kahoot platform quite a bit. So I was looking through some of my old Kahoots that I do for this unit that I'm in right now. And some of the questions I had to delete because we just won't get to that level of detail. So I've made peace with that, that, you know, the level of detail, the the sort of depth that you can get into hello, um, hello, in hello, a hello, more hello. normal situation just isn't achievable. 
And Hello? I think Hello? the thing you have to keep in mind is it's not your fault and you're just going to do the best. Right. And we hope someday things get a little more back to normal. But what do you think will be forever changed? Have you picked up anything that you... <laughs> well, one thing that I'm going to miss are snow days. I think that's gone, don't you? Oh, no. it's Yeah. So I... I haven't heard officially, but... I have heard quasi-officially that it's gone. Uh, I, I think the official announcement will be made shortly, but... Um, as you know, I'm an avid skier, and yes. um, I had a four-wheel drive truck, so, <laughs> you know, to me, a, a snow day was a sacred powder day at the mountain, uh, so that's going to change. Um, yeah. So, but, you know, beyond the snow day shift, you know, I wouldn't be surprised if uh, there is more remote learning um, in our future built into our schedule um, for different reasons. Um, but I, I wouldn't be surprised to see, like, having one remote day a week stick around um, in the long term, even after the COVID is over. That would be unimaginable, wouldn't it, before this? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. So, uh, I got to ask you, growing up, what were you like? Well, I was a, <laughs> I was a little bit of a, of a mischief maker. Um, I like to refer to myself as a fun-loving criminal. Um, you know, I was out to do no harm, but, um, I certainly like to have fun, but, you know, I, I go back to, uh, this, to my best friend from growing up and remains my best friend to this day was someone who's quite different than me and quite opposite from me. And his father one day made the observation that it was a good thing we found each other. Um, because if I hadn't met, if, if his son had not met me, he would have been a complete wuss. And if I hadn't met his son, I would probably be in juvie. So we helped kind of balance each other out like that. So what do you uh, uh, think back on, on reflect on your home life and your parents and, and the, uh, the world that you grew up in and the historical events that affected you? What, what comes to mind? Well, you know, it's, it's almost like uh, I feel like my life is sort of a few different episodes, even my early life. So, you know, I had a, maybe a bit more of a, a stable home environment as a younger kid. And then um, moving into sort of the middle school and high school years, things became a little bit more, a little bit more turbulent. Um, my parents were very uh, loving people and very charitable people. And um, are they still around? And they are still around and they are still loving and charitable, Good. Um, which I love about them. Um, but, you know, part of that charitable spirit was sometimes taking people in as borders, you know, that were going through tough times in their lives. And I feel like when I got to middle school and high school, that became a challenge for me to deal with that, that going on in my house. Um, having a sister that had a teen pregnancy also uh -huh. caused some, some upheaval. Um, yeah. And, you know, and, you know, it's adolescence, it's your teenage years. So they're, they're already sort of challenging enough. And I had a few extras thrown on top. So I feel like I was, you know, kind of always in a, in a fight or flight mode, um, in those, those years of my life. And, you know, I thinking about the question of what major events shaped me. Um, when I look back at that, you know, eight years of my growing up from about the time I was in sixth grade to, um, uh, leaving high school, um, was one president and for eight years. So I, I kind of feel like growing up in the Reagan years, um, was, was 
very formative for me. Um, didn't really see it at the time. Um, there was no one single event. You know, I always thought, well, my parents had the Kennedy assassination. My grandfather had Pearl Harbor. And it wasn't until 2011 that I experienced some real major um, societal event that really changed the way we lived until then. So uh, one of the little known facts about the two of us is we went to the same high school. Ten years apart, but the same high school. And there were many similarities ten years later for you that I had. And uh, what, it was uh, to name the place. It was Lexington Christian Academy in Lexington, Massachusetts. And uh, what, how did that place shape you? Uh, it shaped me a ton um, in, in very many positive ways. You know, like I said, uh, you know, my middle school and high school years were a little bit a uh, little bit rocky at home, uh, not always as settled as I would have liked. Um, I felt like it was a refuge. It was the place where my friends were. It was the place where I um, excelled at some things, um, particularly in sports and, you know, in my social life. So I feel like it was a, it was a safe space for me when I'd go there and I could kind of escape some of the, uh, some of the chaos of home at that time in my life. So um, and as I mentioned earlier, my best friend to this day uh, is somebody that I oh, met from there at, yeah. as a seventh grader at Lexington Christian. Um, and so I think it shaped me in many ways. Um, and also, you know, not that I, in a way, it's kind of hard to explain. It showed me what I wanted to be. And it also, in some ways, showed me what I didn't want to be. And I right. think that's just as important. So I don't think you, you probably didn't want to be a teacher uh, or think about being a teacher in those years, maybe. But we had a teacher that um, his name was Kenneth McCowan, and he was uh, very memorable and quite effective. And But this was a private school, private evangelical school. And he, he taught, there's no words to describe how old school he was. He was Paleozoic. <laughs> and if he got hired in a public school, he'd either quit or be fired in the first five minutes. Yet, he was extremely effective. And I just wondered what your thoughts were on how um, old school teaching and how that particular teacher was, uh, what was the secret now that you know about teaching and you're, you know, you've steeped in it? What, what, what do you see when you look back on that man? What I see is someone who was, uh, as you say, Paleozoic in his pedagogy. And I always thought, you know, this would be great if I could just come here and listen to this guy because he was the master lecturer. Yeah. Completely uh, interesting. And he, as you know, kept a spiral bound notebook. Um, and he taught out of that notebook from one page to the next uh, all year. And then he would put it away and bring it out the next year. So, um, you know, he had it uh, sort of in the bag. Not a lot of planning had to go on. Um, but th here's where he was ahead of his time, kind of a maverick, um, in my opinion, and things that I take away from his style that I try to emulate. He was kind of a maverick. He did things his way um, and did not give much care to um, what others would think of his way. And I feel like I've carried that into my teaching. Um, and I think that's quite liberating, actually. It helps you be a more effective teacher. I see it helped him be more effective. And I think it helps me be more effective. Um, and 
because you're being yourself and see that's the that's the thing where he was ahead of his time his authenticity is maybe not ahead of his time but timeless i think if you can be authentic in this job and you can make those connections um you know i as you know, he was sort of the dungeon master for uh, the detention room at, at the end of the day. We had all the, the, the rows and chairs numbered, right? Yes, he did. His, <laughs> and, and if you were sitting in, say, you were sitting in 6-5 and you were... Which was what? Would be the uh, the sixth, the fifth the fifth desk of the sixth column, I believe. Row, yeah, whatever. Yeah. So um, so you're five deep in the sixth, sixth column, and then he would... Uh, be not appreciative of maybe some behaviors you're exhibiting, <laughs> yes. and you would just say, "Mr. Smith, one one," and you knew that that was the front seat of the first column, and you would relocate yes. yourself it's, to it that like, area. It was like battleship, right? <laughs> <laughs> so uh, you knew the coordinates, you knew where to set yourself. Um, oh, yeah. And you just had to say, "Mr. Smith, one one," <laughs> and you would move yourself accordingly. But, you know, you would show up to detention, which is supposed to be a punishment. And, you know, you would find a guy that would engage in humor, would engage you in conversation, and would take a genuine interest in your life and what was going on. So in some ways, he was unyielding and unbending and inflexible. But in other ways, he was uh, he was a huge softy that, you know, just That's true. kind of wraps yeah. himself around him in so many ways. And it's funny that we still think of him from time to time. Oh, yeah. He's a legend. <laughs> so at some point, you uh, you wanted to become a teacher. So how did that unfold? So this would go back to Lexington Christian as well, not as a student. So um, sort of following my high school years, uh, you know, I spent a little bit of time in my early adulthood trying to find my way. Um, you know, for some people, it's easier than others. Some people really have an idea of where, they, where they're headed in life um, when they graduate high school. I certainly did not. Um, and some of that search was, um, you know, turning away from sort of the, uh, the Christian education and, and sort of that insulated world and trying to discover what was sort of beyond those walls. Uh, becoming a bartender at the age of 18 is pretty unusual because I wasn't even old enough to drink legally. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, so I would say what brought me to teaching, though, I, I remember very specifically, I was a few years out of high school, sort of stumbling my way through life, trying to, you know, figure out what it was I wanted to do. And my former soccer coach, who a man named Tim Slider, was the athletic director at Lexington Christian. And I went to visit him, and he said, would you like to help our baseball coach? No kidding. And, yeah, and I said, yeah, I'd love to, you know, because I think he knew that I was also sort of, you know, feeling around for where I fit in in the world um, at that point. And I would say that was a huge experience that led me to this room. What did you have to do for the team? So I showed up one day, and the, the, the current coach was somebody I'd never met or never, you know, known. And we got along well. And I just sort of, he said, Hey, you want to take the outfielders and work with them? And I noticed how those guys responded positively to me. And I noticed how I could, um, sort of effectively transmit my understanding and my passion of that game to them in a way that made a difference. And it kind of dawned on me, um, almost like, you know, you hear people talk about having a calling and I feel like teaching, you know, I come from a line of teachers, um, and so I feel like I felt that calling. It wasn't like the voice of God, but it was sort of like 
the idea came into my head and I just knew, I just sort of felt that comfort come over me and said, yeah, that's what I want to do. It took me some years to get there, but I had a goal once that sort of shaped up in my mind the way it did. Are you more of a teacher or more of a coach? Uh, I would say... <laughs> and, what's boy, the and what's the and difference? And what's the difference? Right. I, I would say <laughs> that's... I don't know if there really is much of a difference. So I, as I said, I, I come from a line of teachers. Mm. Um, and I say that in a very broad sense. My, my grandfather on my mother's side was a high school physics teacher and, and chemistry teacher. What town uh, was that? That that was in the, the city of Saugus, Massachusetts. Okay, yeah. um, and I also, my father is a Methodist minister. He's retired now, but I also consider that to be a teacher. But I think a teacher and a coach does the same thing. They bring out the best in you. They don't try to, they don't try to make you what they are. They try to discover what you are and help you be the best form of that you can be. And I feel like that's, my mission um, when I come to school as a teacher or when I'm a coach, thing. it's yeah. the same thing. It's just like, I want to know who you want to be and I want to know how I can help you get there. But yet, you know, you coached all those years and I thought it was a major part of you, but you don't do it anymore. Why is that? Well, for a couple of reasons. Um, one is, you know, basically a lifestyle change. Um, you, as you as you know, I didn't get married till I was 40 years old. <laughs> so those years I was coaching, um, were really years that I had the time and I had the uh, sort of the emotional space available because it's huge. You know, it's really it's a huge undertaking, um, both the time commitment, the planning of, of what you need to do, but also the emotional space that you need available for coaching. Because these young men that I coached really came to rely on me um, in their lives. Not well, it just, seems like you still have relationships with some of those guys. Oh, absolutely. I, <laughs> I see and talk to former players almost weekly. Um, funny story, I was driving to the White Mountains about two weeks ago um, on a Friday afternoon pulling my new camper, and I got passed by a car with its arms waving out the window, and then a text message, Coach, is that you driving on I-91? And then my phone rang, and it was a former player who had just passed me on the road. Do you want to say who it is? Yeah, John Smith. Great okay, guy. I know him, yeah. yeah. So, you know, quality person. Yeah. Um, and I'm still coaching these guys. You know, I'm still, you know, John. And How does that play out? It plays out like, um, here's what's going on in my life. Can I get your feedback? And it's the same formula, Charlie. It's the same thing. Like, my, my, my job is to figure out, well, what is it, where is it you're trying to get to? And... What's preventing you? And is there any way I can sort of shed some light on that? Because sometimes the things that are obvious to the outsider is not always obvious to the So could you ever be convinced to like uh, suit up again after school and go out and, and uh, coach something? Or are you, is that a part of your, is that a door that's been closed? I I would have to say if I have to answer that, you better be careful. Someone might listen, listen to this if and I had uh, question, draft if you. If I had to answer that question definitively, <laughs> I would say that door is probably closed because that time and emotional space is now taken up with other things yeah. um, that I'm doing. So what? How did you end up here in Stowe Middle School? Yeah. Or, oh, geez, this is a funny story too. So I was teaching, or not teaching, I was working, excuse me, I was working up at Pratt Family Lodge, and 
The old admin assistant was also a part-time employee up there. We worked in the dining room together. Um, and I, at this point, I had had my mindset on teaching. I had my, um, my undergrad degree, but I didn't have a teaching license. And I had just arrived here uh, within that year. And uh, Julie, remember Julie? Julie, the secretary? Yeah. Julie. I, wanna, I can't remember her last name either. But it might come to us. But anyway, Julie said, well, you know, she heard me talking about my interest in pursuing a teaching career. She's like, well, you know, we need substitute teachers. You just go sign up. So I went to, you know, I got my fingerprints done and I signed up at both Memorial North and Memorial South. Um, I did a few days in Hyde Park and I did, I don't think I ever went to PA, however. Really? Hyde Park Elementary. And then I came here one day and... um, Met Jeff Who was Gro- principal? Uh, it was Ed Grossman. Okay, yeah. Uh, met Jeff Grogan, and you were his teammate at the time. Right. I remember this very vividly. Seventh grade. You had just had your IST meeting, which is a meeting where you come and talk about students that need some extra support, and you found out you were getting a new student that was going to require a one-on-one aid. And Jeff said, how do you like it here? I said, <laughs> it's all right. He's like, would you ever want a full-time job? And I said, well, yeah, you know, I'd, I'd take a full-time job. And he said, oh, okay. And he went back, and I believe Nancy, Sh- no, Sonia Raymond was the special ed consulting teacher. Yeah. And she called me the next day and said, I heard you might be interested in a job. And this is how sort of my life goes. Like, I just fall into things. Yeah. I don't know how. It just, in, I guess it's by not trying too hard to get any one place, I find myself in the right place. Right. Um, so I was in the it's right way place. To be. And it's a good way to be. And that's that's how it came to be. So it, it seems like to me, you, the first day on the jo- on that job, you you and I had to go to Lowell, Mass on a field trip. <laughs> Wasn't that? With this student yeah. in a car. We did. Because we didn't I know remember. if he was trustworthy enough to be on a bus with other students. Um, as you remember, he had a very particular history and profile. Um, and we were unsure of him. So I met you. I think I picked yeah. him up first. Yeah. Maybe. Met you at a parking ride in Montpelier and we drove to Lowell, Massachusetts together where we discovered through conversation that we went to the same high school. I remember that. Yeah. And that is how that came that came out. So you sat around in the back of classrooms and watched and you were an aide for how long? For four years. Four was it four I years? Did four years, yeah. And what was that? What was what did you gain from that experience? I gained a ton. I mean, that was that was my finishing school. That was my grad school. Um, so my my route to licensure was through peer review, and the way I was able to gather my evidence that I had met the requirements to be a teacher was through that process of being a classroom aide and seeing every imaginable teaching style, every imaginable. <laughs> You know, classroom management style, uh, you know, you saw it all. So you could sort of say, hey, this would work for me. And I think that's important, too. There's no one thing that works for everybody. So I could see, you know, aspects of your your styles and strategies. Jeff's, uh, Dale Kennedy, um, Deb McConnell at the time. Oh, yeah. Um, you know, even uh, someone like Elise, you know, yeah. I could see how she went about her business. Um, and I could I could say, hey, that would work for me, but that wouldn't. It works for them, but it wouldn't work for me. And I think I was able to walk in to my first real teaching job uh, of being a sixth grade teacher, um, probably better prepared um, than most people are on their first day. 
Is there any way you could generalize what what you what you could use and what you couldn't, or what what the guiding principles that you developed were that you're of your job? Well, I think that you know the guy going back to what we were saying about uh, Ken McCowan. I think the guiding principle was the the teachers I saw were authentic to who they were. They weren't trying to be somebody else, and that means that you're never going to be Jeff Grogan. And no. Jeff Grogan is never going to be Dale Kennedy, yeah. and Dale Kennedy is never going to be, uh, you know, uh, Monica Cross. Every, but if you're true to your own style and you're comfortable in your own skin, you're going to be a good teacher because you're going to connect. And kids know authentic people when they meet them, and they know someone who's putting on an act. And some people think you have to act like a teacher, whatever that means. And I would say a good teacher or a good coach just acts like themselves. So the most important thing is authenticity. Absolutely. I, I believe that because that helps, that helps open you up to your students and helps your students open up to you. You know, I can talk right. about my life and my shortcomings and my good days and bad days. Um, and I think students respond well to that. They don't see someone who's trying to be perfect, but just trying to be themselves and the best they can do. So how did it go when you, when you finally stepped into the classroom as your own class, uh, classroom teacher? Your own job. How did that go? Did you have the usual like don't smile until Christmas, the tough times uh, for first year teacher, or was it relatively smooth? I thought it was relatively smooth. Um, so I had one particular joker my first year who I was kind of warned about. This guy's going to try to, you know, Test get you, get you, you know. Yeah, okay. And so, uh, so the first day I think he <laughs> caught a fly, and. Mm. Or no, so one of the first, like the first week of school, he brought a fly tied to a string, um, like to a fishing wire. And he was <laughs> sort of letting this fly fly around, but he was holding on to it. And he was being his true authentic self. And like my true authentic self, I, instead of saying, you can't do that, that's inappropriate. That's just not my style. I said, hey, you can have that, but you have to bring one for everyone else too. And he thought that was great and he realized he couldn't pull that off he couldn't catch that many flies and tie them on string so he, he just went along to the next thing right yeah. so you taught with nancy jones yeah what 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 do you think about when you think about her well you know nancy i really appreciated nancy because she looked out for me um you know you come in young and fresh and yeah. You know, you're going to you're going to have missteps and you're going to you're going to make mistakes. She was an old pro, wasn't and she? And she's an old pro and I always felt I always felt like Nancy had my back and um she wasn't going to let me fail. So I always felt a lot of security with Nancy across the hall. Yeah. Yeah. Uh what do you think um sets Stowe schools and Stowe Middle School apart from other schools if anything? You know, that's a good question. I haven't spent a lot of time in other schools. Yeah. Um, other than as a coach, going to other schools and seeing what they're like. And I don't know if, I don't know if Stowe's as different from other schools as maybe some people think. I, I see more, more in common with other schools than different. They're right. Yeah, I do. I do. I mean, I think every school is special. Every school has its, has its DNA. Yep. Um, and I don't think, were any different but at the end of the day i think most schools are a place where kids are going to um, just be their best you know and I, I i've always been impressed with some schools around the state that some people might look down their nose at i've always been 
a huge admirer of places like um, Hazen Union, yeah, um, Danville, uh, Williamstown, um, to a degree, <laughs> um, <laughs> you know, because they have a culture and they have a pride um, in what they're doing there, and they really sort of instill that in their student body. So I, I think there's a lot of great schools around the state, and I've been, I've appreciated being able to go in, being invited in, and seeing some of them up close. For many years. Do you think things have changed here since you started, or how do you think they've changed if they have? Well, yeah, I mean, I think things are always changing. Nothing's ever going to stay the same. I mean, obviously, different people come and go. Um, but I also think that, you know, you always leave a mark. Um, you, you know, it might not be a plaque on the wall or a, you know, a library or a gym or an athletic field named after you, but you put your imprint on the others around you. And I think when it's my time to, to walk out of this school for the last time, I think people who came after me that I've been able to teach with um, have picked up something from me, and hopefully they'll pass that along as well. So I, I think it's sort of like, you know, people want to believe in the, uh, the, the everlasting life and, you know, going to heaven when you die and never dying. Um, but I really think the way you live on is just by what you give to other people and how that gets that spark gets passed to the next person. Well, you seem to um, have a lot of uh, people that come back to see you, uh, student body wise. That's for sure. I've noticed that over the years. Um, what do you think kids have changed since um, started teaching? You know, I, I don't think the kids have changed as much as the families have changed. So, oh, so. I just see. You know, it's interesting. When I first got here, I would say things were a little less transient. I see a lot more coming and going now. What do you mean? Well, I see a lot. So, for example, if you <clears throat> ask your seventh grade class to raise their hand if they went to kindergarten and stuff, very few kids would raise their hand. In fact, you would probably have more raised hands if you said, who's been here two or fewer years than who's been here since kindergarten. And I feel like when I first started that these kids were like family, to, um, that they had come up together um, all, all the way through elementary school into middle school. Um, so there was that sort of, you know, almost like a family bond. And now I see a lot more coming and going, uh, moving in and out. And I think that might be just a, a function of, you know, people are able to work from home now, even pre-COVID. Um, you know, I think there's even more wealth in Stowe than there was when we started. It's always been a, a, a town that's, you know, been considered a wealthy town. And, you know, people here are more than more than not financially well-to-do. But I think that that... You think it's increasing right now? I do. And it might be it might be a microcosm of society. You know, you see the, the gap between rich mm. and poor growing. And uh, maybe this is just sort of a close example of, of what's going on on a larger scale across our society. I wonder. Mm. I, do. I do. And I think some of that comes with um, some diff dealing with different types of personalities and even a little bit more entitlement. Among parents than when I started. Does that play out in the classroom? I think it can if you let it. Um, you know, I think I think most students are are still pretty pretty malleable. So even if they come in with sort of an idea of entitlement, you can 
bring them around in a positive way to understanding you're part of a community, an important part of the community, but not always the uh, not always having to be the center of the, the community is per se. So I think you can work with the students around. But I, I do see a difference. So when you're teaching social studies, uh, global citizenship, uh, humanities, humanities, right? <laughs> yeah. How do you choose what to teach, what to dwell on, what how to present the viewpoints of the different issues. Um, how do you balance all that? Good question. Um, I think, you know, again, being authentic, um, it's, uh, you know, kids don't really have their own viewpoint in sixth grade. They have their parents' viewpoint, which is fine. You know, there's nothing wrong with that. And, yeah. and whether it's it, it, it aligns with my viewpoints but I feel like a genuine exchange of ideas and listening as much as imparting is part of that. Um, and making people feel like they can be heard. And also, you know, just being open about where you're, where you stand on and why, you know, it's in, and being clear, like, I'm not asking you to believe what I believe or hold my values, but you know, I'm willing to share them with you and tell you why. So what's the thing that you think they, that you teach that they get the most out of? That's a good question. Wow. Um, so content-wise? Yeah, I mean, that's what I was thinking. Yeah, I know. <laughs> I, I feel like, you know, we, we do a study in sixth grade of Chinese belief systems, so I get into Taoism, Confucianism, and Buddhism. Sure, that's completely alien to a sixth grader, right? <laughs> yes, it is. Um, <laughs> so how what how do they do with that? <laughs> they, well, I think it's exciting to them because it's the first time they've really dealt with big ideas and critically thought about things that aren't right or wrong. They just are what they are, um, and you're left to form your own opinion. So I think that's exciting new territory for a sixth grader, right? Um, but also learning about where the edges touch, where the where the commonality is. You know, if you're talking about Buddhism, and you're talking about the Dalai Lama, um, I think there's a lot that kids can compare to in their own um, backgrounds as far as someone who's compassionate, whether it's a religious figure or just, you know, a non-religious figure. I think kids start to see that there's more in common than that, and that's different. It's just packaged a little different. Right. Different consumer. Okay. Yeah. When do you think uh, you, you feel like most satisfied in your job and when do you feel most frustrated these days? Hmm. Good question. So, I, I mean, I think, I think you would probably agree with this. I'm most satisfied in my job when I'm in my classroom with my students. And that's, that's why you do this, right? That's right. The, that's the uh, part of the job that gets you, mean, you not during a, a meeting or anything. You don't feel as satisfied. No, <laughs> just so, kidding. You know, but go on. Like the yeah. Frustrating parts <laughs> can be like people are making decisions that impact you, and the mm. decisions aren't always good ones. Right. And you know, you just have to find a way to make peace with it and and deal with it. And that's and that's I guess the the challenging part of the job is is just recognizing that certain things are out of your control. And you just, you know, you have to, you know, do the best with what you're dealt. What do you think it's going to be like in 10 years or more? Like, what, where are we going with this enterprise? I don't know. That's a good question. Um, I think, boy, that's a good question. Where are we going with this enterprise? 
I think more will, will will be the same than the changes. I think a lot of the changes are usually just window dressing. Um, you know, you can trace a lot. Of, you know, you can change the name, you can rename the formula, but you know, if you go back to like Thomas Dewey, you know, he was talking about giving student choice, and to get students engaged, you have to, you know, you have to sort of uh, go to their strengths and things like that. And we hear a lot of that repackaged. You know, we've been around long enough now. We've been through differentiated yeah. instruction. We've been through uh, 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 understanding by based. design, yeah. <laughs> uh, backwards design. Yeah. We've been th- now we're in the proficiency base, and yeah. I, I just really feel like they're different shades of the same color. I I feel it's there. I see the the more of the commonality than the difference, and I think that helps me not get frustrated about those changes because I go, well, it's just a little. To me, it's always just minor change, stuff like that. We're still doing the same job. We're still teaching students and giving them feedback. Just maybe changes how you do it a little bit, but really at, at its core, at its foundation. So what do you do in the summer when you're not when you're not thinking about teaching that much? I do in the summer. I well, you know, I'm a I'm a pretty restless person. I can't sit still, so mm-hmm. um, I do a lot of house projects. I like to work with my hands. I like to build. I like to construct. Um, I like the garden. I like, to, I love the outdoors. So I spend a lot of time, um, you know, just getting out. I mean, all four seasons, but in summer when I don't have to work that much more time to do it. Um, so I spend a lot of time recreating in nature and just working with my hands, doing things like that. And maybe not working with my mind so much. Mm. Um, right. You know, maybe read a book that isn't like, Super deep, and heavy, right. heavy, yeah, stuff like that. And so you, you and I are two of the earliest people every day in the morning, right? Yep. What keeps you coming in every day? What What do you want to? What's the story with that? What Why do you want to keep coming to school every day? So I caught on to this idea early in my career. Um, there are some students, and, I, and I'm honest with students about this. You know, there are some students you just connect with. Just like in anything in life, there are some colleagues you connect with, there are some neighbors you connect with, and there are just some students you connect with, and others, it's a little bit more work. You have to put in a little more work to, to do the job well. So, you know, I always say I can have favorites, I just can't play favorites, huh. and um, that would be unprofessional, but it would be sort of denying my own human, <laughs> you know, my human condition to say that I don't have some fondness towards some that I maybe don't have towards others. And it's the kids that I really sort of find that natural connection with that keep me coming to school. And I will mm. I will make a conscious decision to say, I'm going to think about this kid this morning because that's going to motivate me to go to school. Because I know when they I get there and they show up, they're going to be really happy to see me and we're going to have a good day and we're going to get some work done. That's what... That, that's what motivates me is just really thinking about the, the kids that, I, you know, that I really look forward to seeing every morning. And, you know, some people might say you should, that's in politic to say um, that you have favorites. But I've said it my whole career that there are some kids that I just really click with. And other kids, um, it's a little more work. But I put the work in because that's my job. Thank you for talking to me. Yeah, great. Enjoyed it. <laughs> So that's it. Hope you enjoyed the episode and come back for future episodes. This is Charlie Gordon signing off.